in the air. Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 96 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. And that was a week of news. We last recorded on Thursday. And I guess we got to the Joey Bart stuff then. But still, it feels like the Giants packed in six weeks of news into a weekend. Is that about right? Yeah. I mean, Joey Bart makes his debut. And then, you know, there's a lot going on in his early games. There's a lot to remark upon. Um, You know, waving goodbye to Hunter Pence, which uh, I think is not a huge shock, but was still something that a previous administration did not do uh, and let him play it out. And, uh, and they realized that he didn't have a place on the team. And, you know, there's all the emotional heft behind that. At the same time, the team keeps winning and winning and winning. And the craziest thing is they've won six in a row and they're not even, their bullpen's a problem, but they haven't had any save situations. They're winning so convincingly. What is it like 42 to 16? They've outscored their opponents over this streak. And, and now they're right back, and not only are they in playoff position, but they would be, you know, not even the last wild card, but the second to last. They'd be the number seven seed and would take on the Cubs in the first round as, as things currently stand. So, And then you look at the schedule and, and how much easier it is in the second half versus what it was in the first half, and you're like, wow, this, this Giants team in the span of six days has changed from being 8-16 and 16 to having an entirely different narrative on their season. And it's, it's, it's kind of mind-boggling. The best way you can describe how well they're doing relative to expectations is that on Friday, I wrote an article saying I basically expect them to keep hitting. And then they spent the weekend hitting, which I'm usually the jinx. And they actually just kept hitting. Uh, it, it did get Austin Slater on the injured list, but you know, but that's if that's the limit of, of my jinxing powers, that that's that's fine. They are in a playoff position, and I'm going to read something from Ken Rosenthal today. He has a, a little look at the trade deadline, five clubs that might surprise at the trade deadline. I'll just read it verbatim. Quote, but a rival NL executive countered that the Giants are indeed good enough to qualify for the expanded postseason. So even with a questionable bullpen, why not stay intact and see what happens? Uh, end quote. And I just like that sentence. A rival NL executive, you know, mysterious, but says, no, these Giants are good enough, which I, I, is not a narrative I expected to confront before the season started. Is Ned Coletti still considered a National League executive? <laughs> I just, I just like thinking it's Ned Coletti. Um, yeah, you know what? I, I think that anyone who is who believes that Farhan Zaidi and Gabe Kapler are these cold, analytic, you know, um, kind of accountants, uh, and they're just completely going through this exercise of of churning players, and and uh, I, I think it undersells the fact that these guys really want to win. They're putting in all this effort because they want to win. I mean, they they really are driven, and they live and die with the games. And I, even though this season's weird, even though we don't really know what it means to win a World Series or or to be in the playoffs, I they they want to show progress as an organization. And I, I think that 
they also realize that it's it's good business on multiple levels to get good faster. I mean, you're going to want free agents to come play for you. You know, we, we've seen what happens when you're trending in the wrong direction as a franchise, even when you're kind of keeping, you know, keeping uh, uh, appearances up. Um, you're not going to get Giancarlo Stanton to want to play for you. You're not going to want get uh, Bryce Harper to want to come play for you. When the Giants are in position to spend money on some big contracts, they want to definitely be on the up upswing and 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 show that they are a healthy up and coming organization and and you know making the playoffs this year would 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 be very beneficial to that I think and and also it would just show the players that uh, are going to be part of the next good Giants team just what it means to be part of this organization that they're they're not going to the front office is not going to take away your ability uh, to compete or contend when you deserve it by the way you go out and play so I, I think the Giants are going to do a mix of buying and selling opportunities. I, I would not rule out that they could trade a Gaussman or a Cueto, um, but I, I, I think there would have to be a meaningful return. I don't think they're just going to get whatever they can get for them at the garage sale and get talked down to pennies on the dollar. Um, I, I do think that there's going to be quite a, um, uh, a drive and motivation to keep this team together unless there are things that are out there that just make too much sense for them to do. Uh, that's going to strengthen them in the long term. And I, I think it's going to be hard for them to find things like that. And we have a week before the trade deadline. And as we saw from the past week, a week is a billion years in this season. Because last week, we're talking on Monday and as well, you know, grumble, grumble about the Giants. And now they're surging. They're in postseason position. And I always thought it was... Uh, poppycock that the Giants were tanking this season like that was the plan that was the master plan that's why on Twitter there's even like some some dark conspiracy theories about yeah well Kepler wants to blow these games because they want the draft pick and that's that's just nonsense because a drafts don't work like that it's you're not trying to get LeBron James or something that's not how the baseball draft works but b like you said they want to win and last year's trade deadline was instructive. The Giants were had an amazing July leading up to, to the trade deadline. So what are they going to do? And they were pragmatic. You know, they traded Sam Dyson, but at the same time, they held on to Bumgarner and Will Smith. And after the Giants collapse in September, there was a lot of criticism. There was a lot of like, well, you should have traded him. Now, now you, you doofuses, you held on. Except they got draft picks. They got compensatory draft picks for both players. And you look at the draft that the Giants had. It was a short draft, which made the picks even more valuable. But they're able to pick their own prospects. They're able to pick Kyle Harrison and give him above slot money and, and say, this is the prospect we got, uh, you know, in a roundabout way from Baumgartner and Smith. And we're happy with it. And I think that's going to be their philosophy this year. Just they're not going to worry so much about making the perfect deadline move. They're going to keep their options open. Yeah, and, and an important thing to note, too, about the draft is that um, as a part of the March return to play order, the commissioner has the ability to change the draft criteria, the draft order criteria, uh, so that it's not just based on reverse uh, order of the standings for the season if the season is fewer than 81 games, which, of course, we know it will be. So sort of what's being sort of shoved around out there is that it'll be a combination of records from 2019 and 2020 that will sort of form the draft order. And the Giants, you know, picked, what, 13th or something, and they won 77 games last year. So, I mean, they would have to, like, you know, monumentally tank to try to get the number one pick. I don't think Kumar Rocker is going to be in their future regardless. So even that motivation didn't really exist. 
But yeah, you get through the schedule here, and we know about the road trip from hell they had at Coors Field, at LA, and at Houston. And this is a big week because you've got the Dodgers in town for what's going to be their only three games in San Francisco. And after that series is over, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you're done with the Dodgers. You don't face them again. Then you've got three with the Diamondbacks. It looked like the Diamondbacks were really kind of a couple weeks ago, kind of accelerating after a tough start. And you thought, boy, the Giants are really going to be the last place team. And what's happened? The Diamondbacks have come back to earth. The Rockies have lost 10 out of 11, and they've given back what looked like a very easy number two position in the NL West. So if the Giants go and win two more series prior to the trade deadline, those series are home against the Dodgers and then at Arizona, you start to look at what's left on their schedule, and they've already played four out of six games at Coors Field that they have to play. They're done with the Dodgers. They still have three at Oakland, which you know is always difficult, but uh, they've got two against the Mariners and two at the Mariners, so that's the softer part of their AL West schedule. And they've still got you know a lot more with the Diamondbacks and a lot more with the Padres, and they've got the Rockies at home for four, uh, which we know Colorado generally does not play well in San Francisco. I mean, it's getting to the point where you know the Padres are a serious team and they're they're really really good, but overall, there's no question the second half of this schedule is a lot softer than the first half. And the Giants have been pretty competitive. I mean, they're, what, three and f- four against the Dodgers? I mean, the Dodgers are, are hardly lost a game outside of the three they've lost to the Giants. So maybe this team really is a good team capable of not only being a playoff team, but, you know, maybe not the last person in, maybe not the last team into the playoffs either. So like you said, it only takes one really, really bad uh, turn in a week to change everyone's perspective. Let's pause to tell you about Manscaped. Manscaped has you covered to keep the hair looking nice and trimmed and feeling fully supported. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. The premium lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof, includes an LED light, and is made with advanced skin-safe technology, which reduces nicks and cuts on your delicates. You can get this trimmer inside their Perfect Package 3.0, which also includes the Manscaped Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and the Crop Reviver Ball Toning Spray. Both super practical, and they smell great, too. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC20. From the moose to the caboose, always use the right tools for the job. I'm not generally the type to look at the schedule a month ahead of time just because that's not how my brain works. Uh, But I I really haven't studied that September schedule until right now as you're breaking it down. But the Giants get to they come home from Seattle uh, on Wednesday, the 16th, and then they have an off day the next day and then they play in Oakland. But generally what what happens is that they come home on the 16th and sleep on their own bed for the rest of the regular season. It's nice to to have that. You know, you have this this sort of continuity. You're not traveling. You're not going out to Houston. You're not going to Coors Field. And when they start their homestand at the end of September, the first four games are against the Rockies. And while Coors Field has been a house of horrors for them over the years, the same can be said for the Rockies in Oracle Park. Uh, they have one there, but they generally don't. The Giants generally feast on the Rockies at home. So if they can keep that going and that's the final season or final series of the season uh, or final homestand of the season, that's uh, that's a good spot to be in. I really do think that if you're confident that the Giants can finish in third place, 
And maybe the Padres are, are just really good. They're taking off and, and they're going to clearly kind of create a cushion and be the second place team. And we know the Dodgers are, are, are the Dodgers. But if you believe that the Giants can finish ahead of the Rockies and Diamondbacks in the standings, then they're going to be a playoff team. I really do believe. I mean, that's not guaranteed. There's only going to be two third-place teams or a third- and fourth-place team from a division that will make it. But I really think the NLS third-best team will be in this thing. And so when you start to look at it that way, it really doesn't look far-fetched at all. So this winning streak, the surge has been led by the offense, of course. The starting pitching's been great. Uh, since the wackiness, the bullpen has been inoffensive, and I mean that in a very good way. But the more I look at the hitters who are doing what they're doing, no, I don't think Donovan Solano is going to hit 363 all season. Uh, you know, no, I don't think Austin Slater is going to come off the DL and continue to hit 347. I think there are some surges you can look at and go, okay, it's going to calm down a little bit. But overall, the players who are hitting, I, I get. Like, I see them, and yeah, you, those players are going to contribute. And when I wrote my thing on Friday, it was just waiting, and maybe one of the guys like Brandon Belt or Brandon Crawford gets hot. And what happens? Brandon Belt gets hot. And now his OPS is 841. He's got a 357 on base percentage. He's got a 484 slugging percentage. Those numbers will play. And it's hard to, to really look at the Giants' offense as being smoke and mirrors because there's so much more that could be going right. Mauricio Dubon had to surge to get his on-base percentage over 300. There could be more growth there. Evan Longoria, you know, he maybe there's something more there. Uh, it's, it's hard not to be impressed, and that's before you've watched Joey Bart do what he's done his first weekend in the majors. It's, it's looking like a functional offense. Yeah, do you think they're going to get more than about like, you know, a, a 180 batting average out of the catching position for the rest of the season? <laughs> I mean, wow, that the I mean, we all kind of knew that this guy was going to do some special things, but I mean, the three doubles that he hit in three consecutive games were all just stung into different parts of the ballpark. And uh he just also I I wonder how much and this is so hard to quantify the team is just playing in a way that looks much more under control and, uh, you know, better paced on defense. And people don't seem to be running around uh, confused. I mean, there's, there's a controlled aspect to the way they're playing uh, on defense right now. And I just wonder how much of that springs from just a real sense of confidence that you have someone solid behind the plate there. And obviously, Joey Bart is not turning double plays and, and crashing into fences and making great catches and stuff, although he did make a great one in foul territory the other day. But just having that kind of belief that the person back there is is someone who is really good. I just wonder how much that rubs off and, and leads to kind of a greater stability through the entire uh, defense of a team because it, it's kind of apparent that that's what's going on. I was really, really, really trying to temper my expectations with Bart. Uh, I just didn't want to be disappointed if he were to come up and go one for 20, you know, have some pitch recognition issues where he's, he's chasing breaking balls in the dirt, uh, that sort of thing. I, I figured there would be some growing pains and there still might be. But from the second he shows up, and it's like the pregame cameras are following him to the dugout, and you're like, okay, show us what you got. And then it's like, blah, he just shows us what he's got. He just, he's just throwing everything in in the kitchen sink at the, the, the camera and just saying, here's what I got. It's all pretty dang good. You're seeing exit velocities that you haven't seen all season. You're seeing just a whip swing that's going to all fields. You're seeing a calm presence behind the plate. And you're seeing acrobatic play like that catch and foul territory, which I think 
his teammates just probably looked at each other and said, wow, you know, everything he's done so far has been wow. And there still might be some growing pains, but there's so much wow coming from the catching position in just four games. Uh, I, I, I don't know. It surprises me. And I was trying to keep my, my expectations reasonable, and now I, I'm scared that they're just too high again. But I, I think I'll live with it. So you're saying that you're expecting a lot from a very highly drafted rookie catcher who really shouldn't know all the hitters in the league and really shouldn't have that kind of leadership yet and, and really shouldn't have that kind of respect factor within the clubhouse yet, and yet seems to have these innate traits going on that uh, has a quiet confidence about him, um, you could even see him maybe, I don't know, uh, uh, winning a World Series uh, as a rookie catcher. I mean, what, has that ever happened in baseball history? Well, every 10 years, uh, like clockwork, <laughs> a franchise, every franchise gets one of these catchers. It's just sort of every 10 years. It's uh, You can set your watch by it. No, it's it, Posey, it, it's unfair. And at the same time, Posey showed up and it's like, hey, by the way, I'm here for the next decade. Everything's fine. And that's generally what, what happened. We have a lot. To, there's a long way to go with Bart, but he showed up with that same sort of stamp like, yeah, I'm here. It's cool. Let, let's go. And I, wow, it, it's impressive. There's also one other guy that I think we're not talking about enough. And, you know, Mike Yastrzemski is someone who um, we could go on and on and on all day about. And in fact, we did. Um, if you go to our site, you'll find our collaboration. Yes, a Bags and Brisby co-byline delving into some of the ridiculousness of Mike Yastrzemski, who went from 28, 29-year-old rookie breakout who was screaming that he was a regression candidate to everyone profusely apologizing for even making such a horrific suggestion because he didn't regress. Instead, he just became one of the best frickin' players in baseball this year. Um, so that's up on our site. But one guy that I think is not getting a lot of pub yet is Wilmer Flores because he has been just as big of an impact guy on this offense pretty much. And he's the one guy that Farhan Zaidi has signed to a multi-year contract. And right now that is looking like a stroke of brilliance. Not only the pitches that he's hitting, the impacts he's making. Uh, he's a guy who, who also performed with negative count leverage. And he's hitting homers with two strikes. And you're seeing it up and down this lineup. I know the starting pitching really helped the, begin this surge, but I just can't believe what this team is doing at home. I mean, it's been years of watching this team play where they just struggle to, to even mount very many good opportunities. And you'd have Bruce Bochy in the postgame show after another 5-1 to one loss saying, well, you know, we got some good traffic on early, but they'd have one or two shots a game to score. And now the leadoff guy is getting on like almost every inning. Um, they're working counts. They're making incredible swing decisions. They're hitting pitches that that look like they're in good spots and they're still barreling them up. They're passing on borderline strikes that would be like, here you go, give me a 6-4-3 on this one, order this one up special. Oh, no, I'm going to take that. I'm going to take that for a strike. And you know why I can take that for a strike? Because I can still hit with two strikes. Um, it's It's been amazing. And I don't know how much is – I know a lot of it is credit due to this new hitting group and Gabe Kapler's group. Um, and, and a lot of it is due to the players who are part of this offense right now. But, man, it's the results have been so much faster than I thought it would be to, to create the next functional Giants offense. It's been a, really a marvel to behold. We will be back after this. When the Giants' bullpen was melting down in, into the earth... It was very easy to point at the coaching staff and say, too many cooks, 
you know, too many cooks in the kitchen, and that's the problem, and that's that's one of the big problems, and the Giants tried to zig when baseball zagged, and here are the results. It's a lot harder to look at this surge, this offensive surge, and say, well, it's because of the the, the number of voices in the coaching staff, the number of disparate voices, that you've got just the right amount of cooks. But I sort of feel like there are more eyes, it, more voices, and if it really is a collaborative spirit, I, I think it's got to be good if you have someone who can point out, I think this is can be improved here. Uh, do I have any agreement? And maybe you have some dissent. Maybe you have someone saying, oh, no, I see that. I don't know. It seems like it's working, and it seems like it's working from players who were acquired by this current front office, where you have Mike Yastrzemski. It's working for players who were held over, uh, Austin Slater. I, I think that the coaching staff so far, limited sample, it makes sense however they're doing it. I was just looking something up. I had made a list of good things that Gabe Kapler did on the last homestand. And I've got this list somewhere. And it's not a small list, but I started writing things down as I'm watching the game. You know, things like where he pinch hits uh, Alex Dickerson in the second inning uh, to get a matchup with the bases loaded, where he's already ahead, what was it, like four or five to one, and he's looking for a big old Yahtzee and put the game away. In the second inning, you pinch hit for a position player. Um, Bruce Bochy did that once in his uh, uh, 13 years with the Giants, and he pinch hit Kelby Tomlinson for Alan Hansen. And I think it was because Alan Hansen hurt himself somehow defensively in the top of the first inning. And and I think you had made the comment of Kelby Tomlinson pinch hitting for, for Alan Hansen versus Alex Dickerson pinch hitting for Darren Ruff kind of shows you where this franchise has gone in a short amount of time. It's uh, and, and but that's it. You know, he's making moves that are that are pretty bold and it did not work out with Trevor God, you know, and it did not work out uh, a couple of other times. And you you question whether he knew what he was doing when he, you know, bungled that pitching change uh, on the first homestand, which was, you know, not good for someone who arrived with the deserved marks on his reputation and things he had to prove. But you look at some of the other moves that have been made, and he had a very, very good uh, homestand from a managerial standpoint. And, you know, it's not over. They've got three games left against the Dodgers. Um, and it really helps a manager when they're not chasing innings, when the starting pitching uh, has been as good as it's been. But letting Tyler Anderson finish off that complete game, I mean, hey, that showed you we're not a slave to orthodoxy or, or unorthodoxy. You know, we're going to look at things in the moment. And, and it's one thing to tell a pitcher, hey, if you keep getting outs, we'll keep sending you out there. It's another thing to actually, you know, do that and show everybody that that, that is actually true and that's how things are going to go here. Um, I, I just thought that Kapler was having a very, very good homestand. And, uh, and, and this coaching staff overall, you can see a lot of the impacts that it's made. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, there's a lot of ways that this team was really, really impressing. If you have a move that is so obviously against what you would have done and it seems that you are with the consensus such as removing Kevin Gossman with with 80 pitches uh, in Dodger Stadium all you can ask is that the manager learns from it because after that the Giants start blowing leads maybe the bullpen's a little bit tired uh, Gossman's not especially happy by all accounts it would sure seem like Kapler learned from it now you know whether it's Johnny Cueto or it's Tyler Anderson you're getting some depth from your starting pitchers which 
which relieves the relievers, so to speak, which gives them, you know, an extra day off here and there, which is cumulative. Like it's it's it all sort of adds together. And it I, I like the way he's been handling the starting pitching and the when to bring in relievers over the last week. I mean, of course, they're winning. So it's, you like everything when they're winning, but it, it's made sense. And to your point about the pinch hitter in the second inning, Giants fans of a certain age remember the 2000 NLD, NLDS. Yeah, it was the NLDS in 2000 where you have the fifth inning and the Giants are fighting for their life. It's an elimination game. They're down two to nothing and they suddenly get a little bit of a rally. You've got a double. You've got a walk. You've got another walk with two outs. Now the bases are loaded. You have your chance. It's Mark Gardner. Mark Gardner is the one who comes up to hit. And you're thinking... Really? You know, Mark Gardner with the bases loaded in the fifth inning, isn't there a sense of urgency here? And it's always stuck with me as a Giants fan that you got to have a sense of urgency, even if it's early in the game, even if it's the fifth, even if it's the second. And I like that sense of urgency in just a garden variety regular season game because it might be the difference between postseason or no postseason. It might be a single game, especially with eight teams in the NL making the postseason. Yeah, that single game might be a huge difference. Yeah, for sure. And I think that it's change reliever deployment as well. You know, if you have your most leveraged guys and you see that your best matchups in that point of a lineup, opposing lineup is going to be in the eighth instead of the ninth, then you throw your best matchup resources at that time and you don't necessarily save your closer for the ninth. It's, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's really swept throughout the game very, very quickly. And it seems like a lot of fans and, and, and analysts kind of knew that for a long time, but it was just so hard to get people on the bench to you know be disruptive in a way that they'd have to explain to to players, look, this is how we're going to use you. But now it's kind of all broken apart, and and everyone understands you know the score, and you don't have to get that kind of buy-in because people people realize that's the way the game is going, and. I think it's just a much, much more clever and, and, and it just makes more sense that you deploy your resources when they can have the biggest impact. And it may be in ways that are unconventional. But, you know, one thing is you, you kind of wondered with Gabe Kapler, was he going to do some things that were just kind of creative and experimental just to see if it worked and this whole season's going to be a no consequences Petri dish and all that other stuff. And we've kind of written a lot of words about that and, and, and talked about that. I don't know if necessarily they're in that mode anymore. I think that they really are. They're not experimenting for experimentation's sake. I really think that they are trying things that are going to give them the best chance to increase their winning percentage and, and their win probability uh, from move to move throughout a game. They're not all going to work, and some of them are going to look a little different. But man, when, when it does work, it it sure it sure makes them look pretty pretty smart. And with a hot week, it's so easy to focus on the positive. It's so easy to focus on the happy news. But we would be remiss if we ended this podcast without talking about... The bummer of the week, which is that Giants fans have to say goodbye to Hunter Pence. And you could kind of see it coming. At the same time, I, I thought, well, he's still running well. They'll give him an extra shot. They're not just going to bring him in for 17 games and then decide that the swing isn't there or will never be there. So it was a little bit of a surprise to me. At the same time, boy, he really, really was struggling both offensively and defensively. And they figured that they just needed the roster spot more. 
And it's bittersweet because they were probably right on that. Uh, But I really liked the idea behind bringing Pence back. And I really wanted it to work. And it it really it should have worked, darn it. it. It's just a shame that this is how Giants fans have to say goodbye to him again. Yeah, I was not quite as optimistic. I thought that they were kind of perhaps setting themselves up for another awkward goodbye if it didn't work out. I mean, he was 37 and he figured out his swing last year. But all it takes is a couple of physical things to click out of place, uh, which you're talking about Hunter Pence, who's had a lot of those issues lately, hamstring back hips, you name it. If he's not 100% and he's not right, it was going to be really hard for him to do what he did last year with the Texas Rangers. And he made no excuses, but you know, I got to imagine he was battling a few things that probably prevented him from, you know, you don't just go from what he was at like in 2018 to, you know, what he did in 2019 to then all of a sudden reverting back without having some physical limitations. So, um, you know, basically this team wasn't supposed to have a DH this season, and they ended up with four DHs. I mean, (laughs) Wilmer Flores is kind of a DH, Darren Ruff's kind of a DH, and Pablo Sandoval is very much a DH. So, um, you know, it it was going to be hard for them, I think, from a roster standpoint, to put out, you know, a a team that was functional defensively. Uh, They don't have to cheat for every last scrap of offense now, and, and they also don't have quite... Uh, the playing time for Pence that they they did before. So he took it like a pro, like you would imagine he would. I texted him. I said, hey, if you want to talk, I'd obviously love to get a message out to people, see how you're doing and what you think about all this. And, you know, he called back and he was Hunter Pence, like he's always been. And just very appreciative, very grateful. You know, his heart was full of love for all the time he got to spend with the Giants. And it's kind of too bad that his career, or his Giants career anyway, will end with, you know, the last thing he did basically was congratulate Mike Yastrzemski for making a very similar catch against the wall um, to the one that he made uh, in the 2014 postseason. But, you know, he can't tip his cap to the fans or aren't even fans. You know, everything is imperfect and we're just making the best of it in 2020. Not all things are going to plan. And this didn't go to plan, but I think you, you put it perfectly. You're not going to remember in five years when Hunter Pence is out there giving speeches at reunions, you're not going to remember the fact that, you know, he had a 058 batting average in his final season as a giant. That that's just not going to be part of, of what you associate with him. And uh, I think you just got to look back and realize that there are going to be better times ahead when you're going to think of Hunter Pence in in a much better way and in in a way that just makes you smile to think of him. And uh, that's a cool thought. It's wild to go back and look at perhaps how Hunter Pence was perceived before he came to the Giants. Because remember, he was on the Phillies back when there was that burgeoning Giants-Phillies rivalry. And he was a player that you obviously couldn't ignore him because he was Hunter Pence. But I didn't know his personality. I I I don't know how I missed it, but I I just missed that he was one of the world's nicest guys. I just he was just sort of that weird dude who was on the Phillies, and then he comes to the Giants and he spends the first or the second half of 2012 just not hitting. He was terrible. He was terrible, and it was to the point where. He, Everyone was openly wondering, do the Giants even offer him arbitration next year? Uh, This is such a bad stretch. And then, of course, 2012, the postseason happens. He becomes Reverend Pence. And then it just, his rise to one of the most popular players in franchise history. I mean, I don't think that that's overstating it. Maybe it's a little hyperbolic, but he's as popular as popular gets. It was remarkable to watch in the good seasons and the bad seasons when the Giants were making the postseason, when the Giants were not. 
he was just always so beloved by the fans. I, I don't remember seeing anything quite like it, and it was reciprocal. He, he knew that he was in a good spot, and you could just feel uh, the energy, the positive energy coming from him, and it was just a pleasure to watch all those years. Yeah, I, I, I would definitely put him just a shade below, like, the Bonses and the Lincecums. Sure. But I tell you what, he's I think he's right there at almost the same level with a Buster Posey in terms of just a connection with this fan base. Who else will have his scooter stolen and the whole city will go out and put basically a public <laughs> APB out for and they'll find the scooter. And then he takes a moment where it might challenge your kind of belief in humanity a little bit. You know, oh, my scooter got ripped off. That sucks. And then what does he do? He auctions it off and, and uh, for charity and donates the money. Uh, and he makes a positive out of it. That is Hunter Pence. That, he's, he's, he's somebody who will find a way to make any situation into something that's reinforcing, something that's good, something that's positive. And man, do we need that right now. Um, so yeah, it's. Uh, I think we can safely say Hunter Pence, good giant. Good giant. All right. This has been episode 96 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. Do you have your tucks picked out for the 100th episode? Ooh, uh, I, yeah, I, I do. I do. Yes, it's going to have a nice roughly shirt. And are we going to have special guests? We probably need to have like a cast of thousands. Yeah, we probably should. I should probably figure that out. Maybe I'll just do uh, my dumb impressions of like Jeff Goldblum and stuff and pretend that we got him on and we just talk, talk, talk. Uh, but no, we, uh, we appreciate you listening and we will be back on Thursday, thanks to Tanika Smothers for producing the heck out of us. And hopefully we will have as many interesting things to talk about on Thursday as we had today. So thanks so much for listening. See you then.